Did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, Hypocrites! This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. It's going to be one of those days, folks. I'm warning you now. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm over here. Lou's over there. Hey there. We've both made it, which the way this past week has gone is a small miracle in and of itself. It is. And we're here to tell you that if you think you are equal to God, you are wrong. Which is probably the dumbest thing I'm going to say today. Maybe I should just like challenge accepted on that. So my goal is to try to say something dumber than that today. Yeah, I Stop don't know. laughing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we can do it. All right. We have got something fun for you today because it is the world running into well, headlong into trouble, and the church not really running to meet it, which has kind of been one of our problems for a while, is that the, the, I, the, man, the I Christian you, world been, is killing us. There's been like, when you, when you say not headlong to meet it, I mean, I've, I've listened to some, well, the governor of New York City. Uh, <laughs> that woman is nuts. Yeah, I mean, she made a gospel message out of getting vaccinations. around him when they had come from Jerusalem. All right, time out. Him is Jesus, Pharisees and scribes. These are your religious leaders of Israel. You see this in um, Matthew 23. Jesus says, Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they do, all that they tell you to do, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds for they say things and do not do them. That would be a problem, and that's a theme we're going to come back to later on. Hypocrisy. So they had seen some of his disciples, so this is the 12, eating their bread with impure hands. Dun, dun, dun. That is unwashed. Now, I love the little, um, Mark is great for this, the little parenthetical remarks here. So, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. All right. If you want to go and do some research, which if you want to go and do some research, I recommend you do it. Have fun. Uh, you'll need to go digging around in the Mishnah for this. When we say the traditions of the elders, we don't mean like, well, Grandpappy said one time. No, no, no. We mean like an actual book, the traditions of the elders. Yeah, it's codified. Yeah, they, 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 I joke about this all the time. They wrote it down and put it in a book. Right, and they often, well, Depends on who you ask. If you ask three people, you might get three different answers. But <laughs> I love those. Um, but they, they see the Mishnah as equal to the Word of God. Yeah, which 
slight problem. I mean, slight, slight problem there. So this is their starting point. So the disciples are not doing this. They are not following Mishnaic. Yeah, is, that, is that, is that, is that a word? I don't know if it's a word, but it sounds good. Go with it. Because it's, if it's the Midrash, it's Midrashic. Mm-hmm. If it's from the rabbis, it's rabbinic. So yeah. Mishnaic. Mm. We're going to go with that. If that's not a word, we just coined it. We just coined it, probably. <laughs> so it is written, so what it is? shall be done. <laughs> All right, Yul Brenner. <laughs> yes, when in doubt, listen to Yul Brenner. <laughs> For he was awesome. He, j- he just looked like he knew stuff. He did. He just, he just had a face. Some people just have a face. Spoke authority. Exactly. Yeah. So the disciples are not doing this. They have bypassed this. So the Pharisees and the scribes ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now, mm. time out. You ready, Christian? We are going to stop for a second. We're going to walk away from theology and into philosophy. Just for a minute. Right. Like, just for a minute. All I right. don't want you to feel like, well, okay, do I need to, is this where I quote the Socrates? No, this is not where you quote the Socrates. And if you, Socrates, I get it. Billy, you've never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures? I have, Dude, I just didn't remember Socrates. that. Socrates! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, this is no, no, not that type of philosophy. We're not doing the Morgan Freeman National Geographic thing. If I don't look at it, it doesn't exist. No, no, no. That, that's not the type of philosophy. What I mean by philosophy is the laws of an order of thinking. Did you catch the logical fallacy in that sentence? If you didn't, let me read it again. So think through. There is a logical fallacy in this sentence. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the, to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? There is a fallacy there known as equivocation. Equivocation is when you change the meaning of something, or you change the definition without changing the word. Okay. All right? Mm-hmm. The equivocation here is impure. The tradition of the elders, regardless of what you may think about it, and I'm point, I pointed at you, but I know you don't think this, but I know you made the point a second ago. Mm-hmm. Regardless what you think about it is not the word of God. It is not inspired scripture. Therefore, it has no authority by which to define what is pure and impure. It can make suggestions. It can make really good suggestions. It can make awesome applicatory suggestions, but it is not the word of God. Right. The standard Christian, please, Luke can vouch for this. I am, I am cupping the microphone in a sincere manner. He's pleading with you. I am pleading, okay? <laughs> I would kneel, but I'm sitting in a chair rather comfortably, and I don't want to hurt myself. Please understand and catch this. Your standard for everything in life, catch that, everything in life should and needs to be scripture and scripturally based. If you ever go anywhere else, then as the song says, all other ground is sinking sand. All of it. And this is an example. Now, the warning here is how quickly does that happen in the mind? How quickly do we get there? You you ready for the most, okay, this is not the most, this is not the dumbest thing I'll say all day, but this will be the most countercultural in evangelicalism that I'll say all day. You ready? Mm -hmm. The scribes and the Pharisees are not the bad guys. 
We make them out to be the New Testament bad guys, but Christian, if you are seeking to follow your Bible, if you are seeking to live out the commandments of your Bible and seeking to follow good religious teachers that you respect and admire and follow the applications that they give you, if we picked you up and plucked you down in first century Israel, you'd be a scribe and a Pharisee. You would have, because that's what they were trying to do. They were well-meaning, wrong, but well-meaning, devout people seeking to honor God in every aspect of their life. Literally. 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 The problem with that was they had allowed that to become their God. Right. Well, they were putting a fence around the Torah. Yes. And they were teaching other people their rules so that they wouldn't possibly or couldn't possibly break the commandments of God. But in doing so, and I don't want to get too far ahead, Chris, because Jesus says it perfectly, um, they were actually setting aside the actual laws. I am so devout in following the rules that I have actually changed the rules. This is what humanity does. And look, you want a great example of this? I don't have this in the notes. So this is this is my this is the example to this that I have always used. Is this is part of the original sin? Because go back in your Bible. If you want to, when we're done, go read Genesis, and you'll see this. God tells Adam, the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't do what? Don't eat. Don't eat of it. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Mm. So the serpent comes flying in. I had a donut. Shame, right? The serpent comes slithering in or whatever he did because he wasn't slithering yet. That's no, part of his I, punishment. I he, I, yeah. So he comes strolling in, came you know. Strolling in. Comes, yeah. Came strolling in like J.J. from Good Times in 1977. I love that picture. <laughs> Dynamite. Sorry. <laughs> don't ask me where that just came from. So he, he comes pimp walking in and looks at Eve and said, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees? Oh, no, no, no. We can eat from any tree except for the one of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't even eat. We can't eat it. Don't even touch it. Right. Right. Where'd that come from? Right. That didn't come from God. They're adding too. That came from Adam. It took Adam 20 minutes to be like, all right, hey, lady, you see that one? Don't eat that one. As a matter of fact, you know what? To make sure you don't eat it, just don't even touch it. Don't even look at it. Just be like, I can't see you. We do this with everything, and we think we're doing a good thing. We are not. We are actually subverting and undermining the liberty that God gives as well as the command that he gives because by adding to the command, we think we're doing a good thing when in actuality we are putting ourselves in his position. Because what we're saying is our command is better than his. This is part of the warning you get in Scripture. The other place this is recorded, um, New Testament, is in Luke 11. It's a different, different. I don't want to say version of the story, but it's a different emphasis on this. Jesus said, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. This becomes the problem. They're equivocating on tradition and godliness. Godliness comes from trusting and following the word of God. It does not come from trusting and following in the word of tradition. When you follow after tradition, you're doing a great job of cleaning the outside of the cup. God's word cleans from the inside out. It changes the heart. It doesn't change the action. When we try to police the action, we are doomed. Now, I didn't say don't give your kids rules. I didn't say don't give your society rules. But realize that those rules are not going to bring them closer to God. They are going to affect behavior. I can't change your heart by changing your actions. I have to change your your heart first. This whole section of Scripture is a really good example of 
what happens when you set up for yourselves righteous deeds that don't line up with God's righteousness? Yes. It, it subverts and it perverts the Word of God, and it causes a person to walk in such a way that they are actually prevented from doing the commandments. I mean, Jesus actually goes into saying that later. I don't want to get too far ahead, <laughs> but th- that's the repercussions. Who's reading ahead again? Um, well, I know the section <laughs> very well, but... Um, I mean, just think, think about it. I mean, we, when we look at the Word of God and we think of the, the, the mission of Christ, sometimes we often equip, we, we look at the mission of the gospel and we say, all gospel, no law. But that's not what Christ came to do, right? The law, the law coming. The law was not The law is not evil. No, no, no. Not, the law not. is averse to us because we desire our sin more. When we are redeemed, heart is changed. I follow the commandment rightly, not as given by society, not as given by church. This is the we we talked about this a while back. So go back and listen to everything we've ever said. It'll do you good. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tall assignment. (laughs) Um, When we talked about fundamentalism, right? This is the problem with fundamentalism. Is fundamentalism is modern-day Pharisaism, because what it does is it says, all right, you've believed in Jesus. Now you've got to do this to be saved. All contraire, mon frere. The the error of fundamentalism is not saying you should do this. You should probably do this. You seek to live godly. You seek to be sanctified. But you don't do it so that I will be saved. You Mm. do it because you are, and this is the motivation of your life. See, when, when sanctification is explained to the Christian, the Christian doesn't go, man, that's a lot to do, but I'm, I'm going to try. The Christian goes, awesome. This is what I want to do. I want to live to please God. You've now given me a way that I know how to do that. You've given me something concrete that I can apply. And that sanctifying work is based on, well, this is how God commands us to live. Therefore, this is what I do. That's what the Pharisees are getting wrong. They're putting the cart before the horse here. And you can see it right here with the disciples. Yeah. They're, they're looking at me going, they didn't wash their hands like Grandpappy told me to. It was a serious offense. They must be evil. Yeah. Because only an evil person right. would dare to be impure like this. Because you're not doing the ritual, you are now impure. So that's where Jesus says to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. This becomes the problem. (coughs) And it becomes the problem because where did the scribes and the Pharisees define sin? Where was it? It was what in their word. It was in the action. Well, yeah, well, right, but it was in their teachings. I'm pure. Yeah. Why, why am I pure? Am I pure because the water has made me pure? No, I'm pure because I followed the commandment. That's what makes them pure. Right. You're impure, right. but you're impure because you didn't wash. Right. You didn't follow the commandment. Therefore, by definition, my righteousness is defined by what I do and how I'm functioning. Now... If you read the Old Testament selectively, can you get to that? Sure. Yes. Sure. If you read the Old Testament contextually, can you get that? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah. That's part of the problem. Well, one of the things, okay, they're trying to live this righteous life. Mm-hmm. They were eating, what were they eating, Pastor Michael? Uh, they're eating, they're eating according to the law. No, they're eating bread. Oui. Right. So they're eating bread with unwashed hands. <laughs> the why, do they, why do they have to wash their hands when they come in from... From, from wherever they came from. Uh, one, of the, one of the theories is, is that they could have come in contact with another Gentile person and therefore been ritually impure. And so if they touch whatever they're eating, this it just so happened to be bread this time, 
um, whatever they're eating, if they touch it after coming in, having been ritually, you know, impure because of who they're around, th- that's why they were doing it. And it wasn't just washing their hands. They had to wash one hand and then the other, and, and they have to do it in order. Yeah, and it was all drip, these rules. They have to hang down to drip, right. and then you drip the other right. way. And then you but say this a is special a, prayer. But and that's and, exactly my point, because yes. the argument is... If I eat the bread, even though the bread is pure, right. the bread is kosher, right. even though I've eaten the bread, if I eat it with my hands and my hands have been defiled by the world, right. then now who's defiled? I'm defiled because I've taken this in. Right. That's what they have they have pointed to righteousness as an external thing. I obtain it yeah. by keeping what is around me righteous right. and uh, by keeping the things that I intake righteous this flies in the face look you want to you want your hallmark your hallmark declaration about sin in the old testament because it's such a beautiful description is psalm 51 Mm. and see this is this is this is a great description be gracious to me O god according to your loving kindness according to the greatness of your compassion blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me james who rightly understood the old testament commands asked the question what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, the Old Testament recentering is saying the problem isn't the command. The problem isn't the desire to be righteous. The problem is you don't understand what makes you righteous? You think it's you're following the, tr- the traditions, the right. following the commandments, doing what grandpappy told you. No. What makes you righteous is following after and trusting in God. As Habakkuk said, you always know it's a good day when you get a Habakkuk dropped on I you. Like, like Habakkuk. Come on. The, the righteous man shall live by faith. faith. So the Pharisee should, should be able to come home and say, look, did I do everything I was supposed to do today? Because I'm trying to serve God? I think so. So you know what I can do now? Mm-hmm. Are my hands clean? Yes, my hands are clean. What can I do? Can I can eat the bread. Yeah. Because this bread, if my hands have a molecule of Gentileness upon them, is not going to defile me because my righteousness is not in the bread and it's not in my hands. It is in God. Right. His work. His cleansing. And you know what? And if I'm wrong, and for some unknown reason, some icky, stinky, icky poo Gentile, we'll quote uh, Cruella DeVille. No, that wasn't Cruella DeVille. That was the Pound Puppies. Stinky, icky poo puppies. A little kid on the Pound Puppies. Okay, okay. Sorry, I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up watching Pound Puppies. Yeah, I didn't see that It's a great cartoon. Okay. I, I say that now. I haven't watched it in probably 35 years. So. Okay. Could have been awful. You remember from all that time? Could have, could have been awful. They were trying to sell me crack in the side. I have no idea. So okay. I don't think so. So go watch Pound Puppies and let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> but that was the little chick because she wanted to get all the puppies. It's just stinky, icky poo puppies. So stinky, icky poo Gentiles have made me unclean. You know what I have to trust? I have to trust that it is God who will wash me, mm-hmm. God who will cleanse me. And that's the point that Jesus is making because he's going back to Isaiah. This is the point Isaiah was making. Because mm-hmm. Isaiah is saying, you people, you're doing this and you're doing that. But your worship is useless because your worship doesn't come out of a heart of faith. It comes out of a ritual obedience. Our hearts were so far from yes. God. Yes. You know, that, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're reading this today because it's such an indictment on, on the hearts of men even Amen. today. And we need to recognize that. You better recognize them. You better recognize. <laughs> Here we go. You've got, we got JJ back. 
<laughs> so, the, oh, don't ask me what that was. Something just caught funky. Now, the reason that becomes important is you've heard me say this before. You want to understand the call of the prophets, understand what they're pointing back to, which is the redemption of Israel in Exodus. Mm -hmm. What was the constant refrain of Exodus? Is God keeps mercifully saving this people. Mm -hmm. He delivers them from Egypt, and they sin. He delivers them from that sin, and they sin. He delivers them from that sin, and they sin. It's like, oh my goodness, if somebody doesn't get it right, and here's the thing, they can't get it right. Nobody can. Because humanity can't get it right. Mm -hmm. So the point is, so why do they keep walking? Because God is upholding them. Why will they be successful? Because as long as they trust in God, his grace and his mercy will cover, his work will abide, and his promises will come to fruition. Right. Nothing has changed. The problem becomes... Because of the history of judgment in Israel, rightly deserved because of sin, there reaches a point where even God's mercy looks at you and goes, you need a whooping. Like, I love my children. Right. There's a line they're going to cross. And Israel crossed that line 18 times, and then God finally took his belt off. Multiple times. He did it in 586. He did it again in, um, oh, what, what, 146 um, B.C.? Which, which is that? that um, that's Epiphanies. Antiochus Epiphany? Antiochus, isn't that 140-something yeah. B.C.? Somewhere. Go read Maccabees, it'll do you good. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember the exact date, but Antiochus Epiphanies did. Somewhere. So that, and that was yeah. the one that broke them. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the cleansing of the Maccabees after Antiochus and all that goes on, uh, Jason the high priest and all that. It's that cleansing that really gives rise to the Pharisees because that's what broke Israel of its, of its pagan idolatry as they saw it. The problem is all they really did was, is replace the old pagan idolatry of Baal worship with the new pagan idolatry of history and tradition. And again, they had good-meaning guys, but there's an old phrase that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yep. They mean well, and this is what Jesus is driving them back to. Guys, this is about a heart before God. That's why Jesus continues. He was saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. See the problem? Mm. That's why that equivocation is such a big deal. When I have to set aside what God says in order to do what I want, i got a problem here. Yeah. For Moses said, and this is an example, honor your father and your mother, as, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Isn't that something? This goes back to the same thing we read in Luke. You wash the outside of the cup in the dish, but the inside's disgusting. <clears throat> Where's the food go? The food goes in the inside of the cup, the inside of the dish. Yeah. What's the more important thing? Wash that. Yeah. This, is, this, is the, uh, this is the thing that gets messed up and the thing that gets wrong, is that when you think sin is an external force acting on you, you will say and do some dumb things. Some dumb things. That's why Jesus warns them, you foolish ones, did he who made, who, I'm sorry, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. In other words, what cleanses? Your actions don't cleanse you. God does. The heart surrendered, repentant before God, is what cleanses and makes you whole. Nothing more, nothing less. When I think that I have an idea better than God. One, I've just said the dumbest thing I'm going to say all day. Mm -hmm. And two, I have made something other than God my deity. I have placed something or someone upon God's throne 
I've, re- I've neglected the commandment. I have rejected the mercy and grace of Christ, and I am walking in iniquity openly, openly. I, 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 I'm just going to say something here. I, uh, I think that I think our misunderstanding of the uses of the law is what gets us in trouble. Well, yeah. Because if you misunderstand God's law of liberty, this law that liberates us when we rightly apply it to our life, we miss, if we misinterpret that, we misuse that, we are going to transgress the law. Every time. And that's a problem even today. Yeah. You can sin against God even today, even if you are a Christian, you're born again, and, and you stumble and fumble. You, you can misunderstand Scripture. You can sin. I think rightly understanding the Word of God both in both instances, both the first covenant and the second covenant, I think understanding those things is key to living a life and in, in walking in sanctification. Well, because if you misunderstand it, you're going to divide them. You're going to separate out. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is one of the biggest things why, you know, I do what I do on Sundays and Wednesdays and stuff here is because getting people to understand the unity of Scripture and the totality that Israel, given all of those commands, like they're, when they're standing at the foot of the mountain and Moses sprinkles the blood on the altar and sprinkles the blood on them, and they say, hey, everything you have commanded, we will do. Yeah. That's not a, we're going to do this so that God will stop smacking us. This is a, this is the God who has redeemed us. Tell us how to honor him. Tell us how to serve him. That's how we do it. Then that's what we'll do. And then five seconds later, they walked in the wrong direction. (laughs) It was. It was really shortly right after that. I mean. And that's, that's the, that's the story of humanity. And the, the, the point that I'm trying to get at is we have to be very, very careful in how we define sin understand that it is not external to us, but it is a part of us this side of the veil. It is a part of us this side of glory. And that if our lives are built around hedging and setting up or even cooperating with anything in the world, we are setting ourselves up for a disaster. Yeah. Now, yeah, for sure. this becomes important because big picture things, okay? What's your standard for life? Well, it should be the scriptures. This, that's your Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen yeah, yeah. for so that you would be equipped for every, every good, good work. work. So your Bible, the Word of God, as handed down, is the standard for everything. Now, Christian, what in your life should align with that standard? Well, see, that's a trick question. <laughs> it should be everything. Everything is as far as you under, as, as long as you are understanding the precepts of the scripture, it should govern everything. I mean, because people, like I said earlier, can wrongly interpret and apply it to their life. Um, the other day, I was I was watching a TikTok. Shame on me for watching TikTok. Shame for shame. But this guy was trying to make a case for wearing face coverings, and he used the laws. Uh, around leprosy to do that in the Old Testament. I've seen that guy a couple of times. Where they have to cover their faces and yell unclean. And he says, see, the Bible does teach that you're supposed to wear face coverings. (laughs) So mask mandates okay. See, that's not how your Bible works, Christian. Not at all. That's not how it works. Not even a little bit. Now, this becomes the important... Now, that leads us to my third big point. What happens when there's conflict between the biblical standard and what I'm doing in my life? What's the big fancy word we use to define that? Welcome to your understanding of sin. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not because the action isn't in and of itself inherently evil. It's because the motivation behind it is the problem. There are plenty of things in this world that are in and of themselves morally neutral. Take this example, mask wearing. 
wearing a cloth face covering is morally neutral in and of itself. Right. You know, remove any command, any ordinance, any mandate. The action of picking up a surgical mask and putting it on your face is a morally neutral act. Now, can I do that from a righteous position? Yes. It depends on what your heart is. But, but, right. can, but can I do that in righteousness? Yes. yes. Can I request someone else to do it in righteousness? Yes. Yeah. Could I demand someone else do it in righteousness? I think you can. Can I do it in iniquity? Yes. Can I request it of you in iniquity? Yes. Can I demand it of you in iniquity? Yes. All of the actions are the same. All of the words are the same. The only thing that's different is the heart behind them. This is the dirty work that the Christian has to do in the world every single day. Right. Because what we have to do is understand not what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. And I also have to understand not what is the world asking of me, but why are they asking? I mean, now look, some things are easy. Some things are inherently morally evil. We can acknowledge this, right? For sure. So if somebody drives up to you in the Walmart parking lot, pops his trunk, and he's got like some you know, 14-year-old Filipino girl, and he's like, hey, will you help me smuggle her into the next state? No! <laughs> that is a morally evil act. There's, there's no... <laughs> There's no gray area there. yeah, There's no gray area here. You know, like, like she's screaming, save me, save me. And you're like, no, you know, let's evaluate why is she in your trunk and duct taped. You know, talk to me. Let's have a... No, there's, <laughs> there's, there's no moral ambiguity here, okay? Right. Conversely, guy may come up to you in Walmart, you know, pop his trunk. I don't know why I'm using the trunk reference. I just am. Mm -hmm. Think of it more like an SUV, you know, where they open the back door. And he's got a bunch of kittens. He's like, hey, will you help me give out these kittens? Okay, why? See, now I need, like, there's nothing inherently morally evil about handing, free, handing out free kittens. But I have some questions. Like, why are the kittens free? Where did you get them? <laughs> See, because now I need to determine, is this a moral action? And the morality of this action will be determined by the rationale behind it. Right. This is the work that we have to do. Yeah, I had to change the SUV. I'm going to get an email. Why are there kittens in the trunk? See, that would be a good question. Mm. <laughs> See, as as a non-cat person, I would ask, why aren't the kittens in the trunk? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> my wife would agree. She is she is the insane, not a cat person. But anyway, that's funny. So, <clears throat> this is the work that we have to do now. Why is this important? Because your evaluatory process must always catch how I said this. Always, not sometimes, must always be grounded upon Scripture as the ultimate authority. Not Scripture as I have defined it. Not Scripture as your pastor has defined it, but Scripture as God has laid it down. This is, again, why having good hermeneutics is an important thing and why we make mention of it. Why I pointed out the fallacy of the pharisaical logic in this, in this passage. Because learning to see things like that helps you understand the point that is being made and helps you see the errors that are being presented. That's just active reading. That's your first day. Wait a minute. Un dirty is not impure. Like Those two words don't always mean the same thing. Right. Can we use unclean to mean impure? Yes. Do they inherently mean that every time? No. Yeah, they were talking about a spiritual impurity, not, not a dirty hands. 
Right. Agreed. Right. But the point is yeah. that, but the problem is that washing isn't going to cleanse That's impurity. Right. Only That's God right. cleanses. So wrong standard, wrong application. Seeing that helps us. Now, why are we making such a big deal about this? All right. I want to read this to you because you, you know how, you know what the article, the title of this article should be? Okay. <laughs> the title of this article should be The Call is Coming from Inside the House. Do you remember that that, that horror joke from, from I know who knows what you when? Did last summer? Whatever. Yeah. Remember though you get the police because the murderer is calling you and he's threatening to come and kill you and the police are tracing the call and they finally tell you the call is coming from inside the house. Meaning you gotta get out now because the murderer is already in. Yeah, that's what this is. So this comes, I'm guessing this is a husband and wife team, Ashley and Matthew Arbo. One's a lawyer, and one's a Ph.D. in Christian ethics, which is frightening. Flagging vaccination rates over the summer of 2021 combined with a sudden surge of the COVID-19 Delta variant in recent weeks have prompted many businesses and organizations and even some state and federal government entities to implement vaccination requirements for employees. Now, that's all true, and I'm not going to read you this whole thing because you're adults. You can go dig this up. These two individuals are writing on behalf of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is why I say the call is coming from inside the house. Mm -hmm. So this is about vaccine mandates. As an ethicist and attorney practicing religious liberty law, we have engaged in dozens of conversations over the past few weeks regarding vaccine mandates as well as religious exemptions. Many Christians are considering the ethics and wisdom of these situations for the first time, fielding advice and anecdotes from a variety of sources. We would like to bring to the reader's attention our perspective and experience on these important issues as they navigate these difficult questions. So they're going to give you some advice about religious exemptions to vaccine mandates. So there are a number of personal responses. In a nutshell, employers have to, because of the um, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and Title VII, um, I'm sorry, uh, I, I read the same line twice. You have to honor a religious exemption. That's just part of the equal protection under the law as the Civil Rights Act has encoded it. Mm -hmm. So you have to honor this as long as it is a sincerely held religious belief, practice, or observance against a workplace requirement. So as long as I have a sincerely held religious belief, an employer, unless it creates an undue burden on the employer, must honor it. Right. So they, 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 they make that point. I, I always love when I read how they word things to loopholes is what we're looking for here. I know. They're always doing but that. Now, it's just to be on the safe side, let's make sure we cover that. Undue burden would be like the employer has to jump through 27 hoops because of your religious exemption. So like if you say it's a sincerely held religious belief that like, I can't be in contact with water, and your job is to be a lifeguard. Like, your employer doesn't have to, your employer doesn't have to buy you a dry suit and a helmet, all right? That's an undue burden. You have to do something else for a living, all right? Right, right. find another job. Yeah. My religious exemption is I think chlorine in water is evil. Okay, that's fine, because you think, you know, the chemicals are, are applied wrongly and they, whatever. But I'm a lifeguard, so I can't jump in the pool. You can't be a lifeguard, dude. That's just that's an undue burden upon the employer to have to come up with a way that you can rescue people without getting in the water. Right. <laughs> Got it. So if faith was is faced with such a mandate, some Christians will likely consider objecting to vaccination requirements on religious grounds. In this type of situation, they would claim the requirements violate their religious beliefs and seek formal religious exemptions. Such a claim might be motivated by their belief that their constitutionally protected rights are being infringed upon and that their religious sentiments are sufficient grounds for refusal. See, no, it's, I'm seeking a religious exemption because my sincerely held religious beliefs are being infringed upon. 
In our experience, the reasons appealed to by some evangelicals for refusing vaccinations are not, strictly speaking, religious, but personal, philosophical, or political. This objection this includes objections that invoke religious beliefs in general terms, but upon further scrutiny, appeal to other factors. Some may, for example, express concerns about infertility, or the lack of longitudinal studies, or that their employer has simply violated their rights. None of these reasons are overly related with their individual's religious beliefs. Yeah, they are. Yes, they are. There are undoubtedly people of faith with relevant moral and or theological concerns that could merit religious exemption. This is why when appealing to religious liberty as the basis for an exemption, Christians should, uh, should proceed carefully. Seeking a religious exemption should very clearly rest upon apparent and applicable religious beliefs. No, no, they shouldn't. They should rest upon biblical exegesis. Right. Thus, a strong religious exemption would be based on recognized scriptural precept or a particular church or tradition's confession or teaching. And by example, the Amish and Jehovah's Witnesses. I like how they always go for... Right. So short of that, you don't really have a valid religious exemption. Yeah. Christian, what part of your life should be biblically based? We said it earlier. All of, All it. of it. All of it. Which means... Your decision on what to wear today is a biblically-based decision. Now, that doesn't mean that you sit there and go, I've put on my John 12, 14 pants. That would be weird. <laughs> Don't you, call me. Are you wearing mixed uh, fabrics, yeah. Michael? Huh? <laughs> <gasps> I'm sorry. <laughs> How <laughs> dare you? How dare you? Yes, and I'm tattooed. <gasps> <laughs> Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you hear the people passing out? Yes, I, th I think I heard somebody drop. <laughs> Why? Because they are not a part of my cultic religion. Therefore, they are not banned by Levitical law. Ding, ding, dun. That's your short answer. There you go. Longer answer, though, is how I got dressed. Like, why aren't I wearing a skirt? No, I'm serious. It's hot today. I, I could have used some breeze. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter and stop picturing me like that. All of you. Oh, not goodness. some of you. All of you. Oh yes, Scottish, if you you it's all just you all just pictured me Marilyn Monroeing it on the over on the uh, on top of the train, didn't you? Stop that! You're bad people. You're awful people. Stop that immediately. <sighs> there is no mace for the mind's oh, eye. I, I, I opened the that. door. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> no, I'm serious though. Mm -hmm. Why aren't they wearing a skirt? We've talked about this in the past because that's not how men in our culture dress, right. and I'm dressing in a culturally appropriate way. Why? Because I honor God by not doing things that are culturally. What's the word I'm looking for? Not extravagant, but the it's word counterculture. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm not violating standards and norms unnecessarily for no good reason. Right. If I'm violating them, it would be for a biblical reason. Right. So I um so no, I'm not participating in your bachelor party at the strip club because I'm going to say, well, culture says that's acceptable. My God says that it's not. Right. Therefore, I am violating that cultural norm. I am not attending your bachelor party because that would be a violation of the covenant, as Job said, that I've made with my eyes. So see the, see the distinctions here? Very good. So uh, without that, I follow along with my culture because God, I honor God by walking in a way that is accommodating and not causing trouble. So that's why I'm not wearing a skirt. Mm -hmm. My wife isn't wearing a mini skirt today because she doesn't want to draw that type of attention to herself. So she's dressing in what we would call an appropriate manner. Right. My wife goes to the beach. She puts on a bathing suit. She goes to Walmart. She doesn't. Why? It's the same outfit. 
Now, you may be going, it's Walmart. Have you seen? Yes, I've seen what they were to Walmart. That's not the point. <laughs> right, fine. Laughing. Target. There are whole right. websites dedicated to what people are wearing at Target. <laughs> She's not wearing a two-piece bathing suit to Target mm -hmm. because that would be weird and culturally unacceptable. Therefore, right. why are you doing it? I'm doing that so people will look at me. But when I wear a two-piece bathing suit as a woman to the beach, am I doing it so people will look at me? No. no. It's a culturally appropriate expression of beach wear. We actually had to have this conversation with my daughter the other day. We were watching um, this travel video on YouTube, right. and it was showing the, all these um, Spanish beaches. Oh, boy. And there's this woman just walking down the beach, showing you what the beach looks like. And I'm like, this, I'm a weird sociologist anyway, so you tell me it's just a walking through a crowd of people. I'm like, ooh, I'm interested because I, I people watch and try to process. And all of a sudden she's like, that woman doesn't have any clothes on. Like this woman walking down the beach, is just she's just in a thong bottom. And my daughter's like... I, that that's okay. I'm like in that at that beach, yes. And then then my daughter even goes, no one's looking at her weird, I'm like because that's their culture. Right. Now, do that in Jersey. Well, I don't know Jersey. They probably would allow that. Do that on Martha's Vineyard. People are gonna look at you a little weird. Do that on this Spanish Riviera beach. Yeah, it's different. A, it's unacceptable. Different culture, different yeah. context. See the problems here. Yeah. So, <clears throat> with that said. My basis for everything is biblical. Why did I go to the doctor? Why did I not go to the doctor? Why did I take ibuprofen for my headache? Why did I not take ibuprofen for my headache? Why do I take vitamins? Why do I not take vitamins? Why do I drink my water? Why do I drink my milk? Why do I make sure I get enough? These are all biblically-based decisions on how I care for myself, how I steward and love others, and how I care for my body as God has provided for it. How I, how I deal with my resources. The, choosing to buy the Walmart brand versus the name brand is a stewardship decision. How you honor God and serve your family come into conflict there. Because if you believe that the name brand is a better quality than the Walmart brand, you may say that it's worth the money. But if I don't have the money... Well, stewardship is now running into provision. What wins out? You have to decide that biblically. A relevant ethical question drawn from scriptural teaching of the value of our bodies and treating them rightly is whether vaccines harm the body. At present, there is little to no evidence that they do. No, see, that's wrong. Yeah, that's not the relevant point. A relevant ethical question drawn from scriptural teaching of the value of our bodies and treating them rightly is whether or not I put anything in my body Vaccine, vitamin, or otherwise. Yeah. See the difference here, Christian? The RLC is saying, well, if it doesn't hurt you, it can't be wrong. Wait a minute. There's something wrong with that logic. Here, hand out free kittens. Yeah. yeah. What's wrong with handing out free kittens to people who want free kittens? What if you're allergic to the cat? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, what I, if I, they I, stole the cats? What if they've yeah. been infected with some weird thing that's going to you know, kill your, all your houseplants? I mean, I don't know. Cats as biological weapons. I just found a good use for cats. Okay, it the would cats work. can live. Totally work. They can they can live. They can come out of the they can come out of the trunk now. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking about this, but in seriousness, the moral action is not the the sinfulness of an action is not determined by the by the outcome. It is determined by the motivation. Yeah, well, that's the right. distinction. Right. There, there, there's that, but there are cases where there are absolutes that pro prohibit a person from 
doing certain things. Agreed. I'm not talking about those. Right. So even even if you say and even if you believe and can convince someone that the vaccine is perfectly safe, that doesn't make it morally good. Right. That's not the end of the case. Right. I still have the right and duty under God to evaluate everything that I do for my health and my well-being, regardless of how good you think it is, because who do I answer to? God. I answer to God. Right. And if you're requiring me to do something gets in the way of that, you are now infringing upon my sincerely held religious belief, mm-hmm. because you are saying that I am more important than your relationship to God. May it never be. It is also important to remember that illegitimate appeals to religious liberty are perhaps the greatest threat to legal protections of religious liberty. I hate the rhetoric in this. I, I you know, yeah. I'm glad we picked this one, but I now know who we're airdropping our biological weapon or felines on first. It's these two. Mm-hmm. Appealing to a religious accommodation that is not sincerely held and uniformly applied dilutes legal options to appeal to when religious liberty is genuinely threatened in the future. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Here's my fun, my fun question. Define uniformly. So if one Baptist church says we won't grant you a religious exemption and another Baptist church says we will, who's right? Because in Baptist ecclesiology, there's nothing higher than the local church. Which right, means the Baptist, the, Ma- the Baptist church two miles down the road could say, we don't think there's a valid reason for a religious exemption. And the employer would then look at you as a member of that church and say, your church doesn't hold this. But if your coworker goes to my church and we say, we do believe there is a valid reason for a religious exemption, you know what your employer has to do? He has to honor that because that's a sincerely held religious belief because there's no ultimate standard. That goes back to the governor of New York. All the religious leaders have said there's no good reason for this. She didn't ask me. I'm a religious leader. Yeah. How about me? She didn't ask me. Uh, Dad, did she ask you? Because um, if you've got a wife and kids, you know what you are? You're a religious leader called by God to defend your family. Go, if you want to have fun, go look this up. How Christians, how should Christians think about religious exemptions for vaccinations at the ERLC? Because if you aren't prepared for this, the church for years has been surrendering to culture. For years. We've been equivocating on the gospel. We've been equivocating on the law. We have been trying to look like the world. We have changed our music. We have changed our preaching. We have changed our message. We've done all of these things. And this is where it leads us. This is the fruit that it's born. Christian, what's your standard? If it's not the word, you better start making it the word now because everything else in this planet is going to come into contact with the word and going to come into conflict with the word. If you haven't grounded yourself, you're going to be in trouble. What have we learned here today, children? Because we got to go. God has a standard. Our standards must align with him. And if we are asked to go against God, we must stand firm. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can go to the website there, get the reading plan, all the good stuff that we've got. I highly recommend that you do because if you're not reading your Bible, it'll help you, give you a little way to keep things in touch and keep going with everything. If there's something you want to look at or something you think we've missed in the last couple of weeks you want us to go over, send it to us. That's what we live for, to serve you, the people, as the great prophet Bain once said. So until we meet again, <laughs> read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.